This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome back to Tool Breaking Banks Europe. My name is Matteo Rizzi. I'm the executive producer of the show. This is show number 189. It's a new uh, series that we're introducing. Is uh, We call it Disruption Stories. I'm here with Yannick Malling, uh, co-founder of Public.com. Yannick, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Hey, Matteo. Thanks. Good to be here. So uh, Yannick is usually based in New York. He's uh, now in Copenhagen. So we have a little like axe in the same time zone from Switzerland to to uh, to Denmark. Um, Yannick, a little bit of background about about yourself. Uh, you know that I, I I didn't have time to uh, to read your full bio. I'm guessing public.com is not your first uh, sort of adventure, at least. So tell us more about you. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> I'm originally from Copenhagen, now live in New York, co-CEO and co-founder of Public. Like you said, I actually have been in and around the investing space for nearly 20 years, despite only being in my in my mid-30s, um, which uh, I guess is kind of interesting. But yeah, I, I had a start my career at Saxo Bank, uh, who the, the European uh, listeners might remember. Um, who was one of the early original sort of online trading pioneers back mm-hmm. a couple of decades ago um, and uh, built another company. It was part of building another couple of companies after that out of London after the 08 crash, more in and around uh, interbank liquidity between small and medium-sized financial institutions. Um, I understand all this just because I worked at Swift. Otherwise, it would be completely yeah. Arabic. But, you know, a, f- a few years at Swift to help me understand what you're saying. But, uh, yeah, I got it. I got you. I exactly. Got you. Exactly. Um, so, so it was part of building that company, uh, a couple of companies in London for um, for a, a few years. And then since sort of 2018, I uh, went to stateside and started the laying the, the sort of bricks for now what's now what's now public and public.com is an investing app um where you can invest in uh, multiple asset classes all from one portfolio so that means you can buy stocks etfs you can buy treasuries uh t-bills you can buy uh crypto you can even buy things like fractional art and collectibles um and um soon a bunch of other kind of asset classes that we're adding to the app, all from kind of one um, seamless experience um, right on your phone. In which in which sense, uh, Yannick, uh, uh, public.com is a kind of the next generation sort of investing platform? Because keep in mind that uh, with probably not the same success, but I've been close to investing platforms since the Bursorama, you know, when I was in, when Bursorama started, I was in Paris uh, back then. 
but they also have good friends, founders of uh, you know the Nutmeg and the Money Farm of the and. But when when I briefly look at public.com, it seems like uh, uh, there was a, a sort of an advance, in, you know, in 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 having a one stop shop for uh, every possible uh, you know type of assets. Can you explain us a little bit how this platform evolved, uh, you know, over the past twenty years? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you had a whole movement start when trading went online. Uh, like I said, Saxo Bank was one of the European players, but like Schwab Trade, those kind of names come to mind in the US. Um, and that brought the cost to trade down. And that was mainly on on the desktop PC. Uh, it was even before Apple's kind of dominance where everybody had a MacBook, right? It was back in the, you installed the EXE file, if you remember those days. And um, then I think as, as, as mobile became a much bigger platform uh, than the PC platform, you saw the rise of more, you know, mobile first investing apps and and with that commissions kind of went to zero because you could suddenly scale out a business across uh many many customers uh without you know needing you know a lot of employees necessarily and branch offices and all that kind of stuff um and then i think the what i call a little bit the the final frontier in that gradual democratization of an asset class was this concept of fractional investing, um, which public was sort of the, that was our early came to fame and, and what we were sort of one of the original emitters of, which is this idea that you can buy a part of a stock. And so we live in a world where a lot of stocks uh, have a pretty high price per share. When we launched this back in 2018, 19, Amazon was like $2,000 for one share, Google two or 3000 as, as well. So as you can imagine, you know the the median average uh, savings account in the U.S. for a millennial at that point was twenty five hundred dollars. So, in other words, the median average millennial couldn't actually afford to buy a share of Google, but they obviously all know Google and use it because it also owns YouTube. And this, so, so the, the irony was quite there, right? Like YouTube, especially, is a platform that thrives on the whole millennial generation, and they couldn't even afford to uh, buy one share to uh, to take part of that up, upside on a median average kind of basis. And so we built this fractional concept where you can invest down to, you know, a dollar, five, ten dollars of any company, which completely transformed, I think, the way that people can invest because it it went from being something where you thought, oh, I need to save up all this money in order to start. And so there's a high buy-in for me. And when there's a high buy-in, it also means that the barrier that you need to meet in terms of how educated you feel you need to be is quite high. And then you're stuck in this like little bit loop of like, I need to educate myself a lot in order to risk all this capital because I've got one shot, right? And then people procrastinate. It takes time. And then they just end up starting their investing journey way later than they otherwise would have. And if there's one thing that history in the stock market have taught us, it's start as early as you can, right? I think even Warren Buffett says, I have two pieces of advice for everybody. Start as early as you can and optimize your taxes or something like that. There's a quote like that out there. But the truth is, if you start when you're on average 35, but you could have opened a brokerage account when you're 18, that's 20 years of missed compound investing opportunity cost that you can never get back, right? And that's why it's so important to start early. I think recently, Brad Gerstner from Altimeter is talking a lot about this with some initiatives that he's doing, trying to get even children kind of invested um, in the markets, etc. And so fractional was a huge unlock for all that. 
people can start with 10 bucks. They can add another 50, 100, 500, $1,000 every day, every week, every month, depending on where they are on the income spectrum, which really like takes the edge off, right? It allows people to ease into it um, at their own pace, but at least they get started. And then what we've seen is over time, they build uh, quickly, um, pretty good, great, well-diversified portfolios. Um, and in tandem with that, their financial literacy exponentially increases in well. We'll talk more about financial literacy. And, you know, it's curious how, you know, banks or traditional banks, they all sort of, uh, and they still do, run after what they call the the, the, the mass affluence, right? But this sort of uh, uh, limit of uh, the, the asset under management for the mass affluence was more in a region of... Uh, I don't want to say $100,000. This is like the, the sacred growl, you know, for uh, for banks, mm-hmm. but certainly not uh, the couple of thousands, right? Yep. And it is almost like uh, right now, and, you know, I have two teenagers, you know, so the, 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 it's, uh, and, and, you know, my, my son is 18 and he's asking now, you know, the, exactly, you know, how, how should I start? Because, of course, you know, he has great exposure to good and bad influences, right? You know, Crypto is largely also bad influence, and I want you to talk about this risk about uh, the wrong literacy, you know, that uh, that you can see uh, today, especially on 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 social media. We'll 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 touch on it, but uh, you know, be, because it sounds like uh, having a portfolio of a couple of hundred dollars. Uh, you know, even if you're like a super successful, uh, it, it does take uh, you know a long time because before making anything significant. But maybe what people don't think about is that uh, as soon as like they start working, for example, if they have a portfolio that they already used and and, and they are used to the mindset, they the right mindset. That that's the name of the game, right? I mean, I I I'm, totally. shed, I'm thinking about this right now. So is that so? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I think I'll say a couple of things. Number one is I think the you're totally <laughs> right about the banks and, and the larger players having this like $100,000. I think it's even higher, to be honest with you, right? They're sort of like going for the the person in their economic prime. Uh, you know, it's also, I think, largely male audiences with most of them, right? And so it's a little bit more old-fashioned that way. Um, I think one flaw in that thinking is you know, it's a point in time sort of estimation, right? And so what I mean by that is um, when somebody turns 18 and they open an account on public, they put in a couple hundred dollars. We don't treat them any differently than somebody that puts in a few hundred thousand dollars necessarily because that person who just turned 18 might in five, 10 years have the hundred thousand dollars in their bank account, right? And that's exactly what this like fractional model enables. You know, it's like, you are, I often equate it to, um, you know, if the only way that you could learn meditation was to actually travel to uh, Nepal or Tibet and like un- undergo a year long course with a bunch of monks, very few people would do it. But a lot of people have learned to just do it for 10 minutes every day using a series of apps. And the same is true for financial literacy, right? If you have to undergo a whole education in order to learn it, that's just a high barrier that a lot of people can't commit to, but a lot of folks can commit to just spending 10, 10 minutes every day. And that's a little bit, that's our sweet spot with public, right? Like we're, we, we actually, we don't allow day trading. We're not really in like the day trading 
space. These are more people that are building their portfolios over time. And so from an engagement perspective, we found that that's also a little bit the sweet spot. Like if people can spend 10 minutes every day reading the news, we have like a built-in community around the app too. So you can see how other people that also own the stock are reacting to news that come out. That's hugely educational for people and really helps them get a diverse set of kind of viewpoints around all the events happening in and around the markets. That's That's the key. And I think if you can then action that also a little bit at a time, you know, there's this thing called dollar cost averaging, where you basically just build up a position over time in a, in a company, um, then it really matters uh, over time, right? And so you might start with a few hundred dollars, but slowly but surely, you know, next year that becomes a few thousand, the year after it's five, the year after that it's 10. And, you know, compound investing, like they said, really is the the eighth wonder of the world. And, and, and that's... Um, that's an old sort of uh, adage, an old truth that we're big time kind of playing into. And so we're trying to be a little bit more also longer term, I guess, in our thinking and and not focus too much on any point in time um, situation for any any uh, prospective customer. And by the way, you, you are a global company, right? So besides being fully regulated, I mean, what whomever invests in any part of the world uh, where they can, you know, they are covered, right? Or, or uh, what's the yeah, coverage we, today? We started in the U.S. in all states, and uh, this summer we expanded to the U.K. So we're not quite global yet, unfortunately. But um, you know, uh, the U.K. launch that we announced a couple of months back. I think we announced that we were going global into international markets actually in the early uh, earlier this year, and then we just went live in the U.K. Um, a couple of months back. Which is really exciting, obviously. So, so, the, so the next step, I suppose, is the is the European because I was just about to, to go to my son, who is like five minutes from me, and say, hey, you know, open an account on public.com. But uh, he's a is a is a French resident, so I suppose that is going to be the next step, right? Got I it. guess. Yeah, I mean, we 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 can't talk too much too publicly about it ironically given the name because we are in a highly regulated space, but um, we are. Quite excited about the prospects of the European market. I mean, I'm Danish, my co-founder and co-CEO is German. So we also just know those markets quite well. It's almost ironic that we started in the US. But, you know, the US is a little bit uh, the Champions League of the stock market, I call it, right? It is where the biggest uh, the biggest companies go to IPO, even some of the Danish ones, you know, Unity, the gaming platforms, and there's like all the biggest tech successes in Denmark um, that I know have ended up IPOing in in the US and so it is it is far and away the best stock market and any I also think personally the S&P 500 is one of the just one of the greatest asset classes of of all time you know not financial advice but quite honestly um you'd be hard pressed to find an index that can compound like that has compounded over the last 20 30 years um other places in the world so Okay, so I will I will not ask you to like uncover yourself uh, at least publicly and and, <laughs> and and tell okay. So, but then uh, you know what is the name? I need to tell you know my son right now. I'll just I'll just ask him to like wait a little bit and in the meantime to get uh, to get smarter about investing. How old is your son? He's, he's actually he's just turned nineteen. Oh, 19. Okay, wow. Uh... Yeah, yeah that, uh, I, I that's I was okay. thinking you were going to say 16, 17, because then I still have No, no, no. My daughter can wait a little bit more. It's okay, fine. All it's right, fine. All right. <laughs> sure. no, and, and I want to start like uncovering a little bit one of the topics that uh, we sort of build this, uh, this, uh, this particular show about, which is the AI theme. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, and and I wanted to start by saying that uh, you know there are billions of dollars uh, uh, of investments uh, into AI applied to all sort of uh, like uh, themes and verticals. Clearly, I mean uh, uh, the, the smart data applied to investment is not new. Okay, but it is true that this democratization of of AI must have uh, and will have a significant influence, right, in 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 the business. And why don't you like give us a, 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 like the 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 sort of the landscape to start with, uh, and starting from generic to specific, and then what's your own view about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's let's pick up on the sort of timeline that we talked about before, which is going from the PC and online trading to mobile, zero commission, and then fractional. You might look at that and say, okay, then you've gone from a place where it costs, you know, I think when Schwab initially launched, it was like 75 bucks for a trade, and they were considered a low-cost provider back then for 75 <laughs> bucks for trade, believe it or not. Ironically. Right? Now you're at zero. You can do it from your phone. It's super easy. Uh and you can even fractional invest and in all that good stuff. Um, but what happens after that? What what are the other levers of democratization in that world? And I think you sort of move a little bit from the pure investing to sort of the, the insights, the research, around the content around investing, because that's something that can certainly become a lot easier, a lot more digestible, and you can create a whole new experience around. And so from our point of view, we, we started, like I said, this like social community with the thesis that the best way to learn something in life, this is true for everything, not just investing, I think, is engage in discussion, debate, and converse with other people around it. Because the human brain works in a way where when you try to ask a question about something, or even actually when, sometimes when you try to explain something to someone, you end up understanding it better yourself, right? It's like a forcing function. Um, and uh, obviously, that's the, what, what we found with that model is it's a, quite a profound kind of way to learn. What we saw with the whole AI movement is, and the flaw in that thesis, if there was one, was really just like, people should not just be conversing with each other, they can also converse with an AI now, right? And that's like the big kind of unlock um, because anyone that's partaken in a, in a forum of any kind know that like you ask a question and then you kind of wait around for the response for like a day, two days, you need to check it, et cetera, right? With AI, it's just instantaneous. And so when you think about how a conversation evolves, you know, back and forth 20, 40, 60, 80 times on a traditional kind of social forum, that takes that can take a month, that can take longer. With an AI, it can all happen in a few minutes. Um, and um, that's really, that's, I think, one of the elements that's so powerful about it. Because I think where you arrive is, and you, you kind of mentioned this yourself, Matteo, is like AI in the world of investing is not new, right? Hedge funds, institutional investors, they've been using AI models for decades uh, to inform, even sometimes fully automate. You know, my, my old company was quite huge in algorithmic trading. Uh, 10 years ago, which is um, we built a platform for that and worked with all these third-party builders to build all this algorithmic trading. And I kind of saw firsthand, I think you called it a little bit more machine learning back then. And, you know, you sort of had the stepping stones yeah. of like big data to machine learning to AI, now to generative AI, and then maybe some at some point uh, more generalized kind of AI. And I think, but that's been like the stepping stone journey. 
And the interesting thing is many sectors, if we step back from investing for a second, they, they, they took a long time to get to the machine learning part because they didn't have the big data part because all the data was like hard to get. What's incredible about the stock market is all public companies, they need to put their data out, right? And so even today, where other sectors with AI are struggling, right, with the license to the input that go into the model and the answers, right? You might have heard about all this with like Reddit and Quora and Yelp and all this stuff. In the public market, it's all public information. So no particular party owns it. A company has to put it out if they're publicly traded. The SEC mandates it. Then it's free for everybody to consume. And that's why I think the world of finance has always been a, a, a quick adapter of AI because the, the big data piece has been kind of largely um, solved uh, a lot sooner than it might have been in healthcare with the data. It's, not, it's much more private, obviously, right? Um, and other sectors like that. So why why generative? What is it? So when I think of generative, it's sort of a branch of AI that um, using these large language models, it is able to, well, let's take the traditional AI that might be able to compute at a really quick rate and, 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 and kind of learn sort of from itself in the past. And a lot of it, by the way, is very numbers driven, which is different from these large language models that are more on language than numbers. That's very one very important distinction to kind of keep in mind. So the, well, I guess what we conventionally called AI like a few years back was really more being able to crunch a lot of numbers really quickly and kind of get to an answer, right? I think with the generative piece added to it, it's the ability to produce novel content that mimics sort of human creativity and human the human kind of thought process behind it. And so when you apply that to the world of investing, it means that you can ask a chatbot, you know, um, hey, how many um, how many uh, iPhones did Apple sell last year? And that's a faster way of finding that answer than going on Google. But that was actually more the traditional one. What's really cool about the generative piece is that you can ask it a little bit more high-level stuff. You can start conversing with it around, um, hey, how many how many do you think that they'll be sold next year? Relative, what are the risk factors that you see that could potentially weigh into whether they'll sell more or fewer or whatever? And so you, you really start to be able to use it much more like a, actually a, an intelligent research assistant which is what we call kind of our thing. Like that, that's how we think about it when we've designed it to, like a research assistant. Like any hedge fund managers have a bunch of research associates that can do all this kind of work. Yeah. You know, they have their little bullpen kind of army. And, you know, if we can give that kind of a power to the retail investor in the form of an AI, then coming back full circle, I think that's the fourth and true final frontier of democratizing access to the stock market, not just to the ability to buy and sell and trade and invest, but also in the ability to, to level the playing field from a analysis and sort of information and insight perspective. So how, how difficult is for the, like, the basic investor to like, uh, ask the right questions you know, to, to, to an AI chatbot? Because you, know, you, you could think that indeed the, the barrier to entry you know, went, uh, you know, much lower because everyone can access to these tools. But then 
I suppose it's also true that uh, the way you ask the questions changes dramatically, you know, the efficiency in which the information is being given back, right? So what's, you know, uh, what is going to make the questions smarter? You know, so how does financial literacy, the whole concept of financial literacy changes? Yep. I mean, you are 100% right. So I think we got, you know, sort of lucky and we were very fortunate that we had two, two, I guess, head start advantages in this whole AI movement. Um, one was we've been operating a social network with millions of members that's been conversing in and around the markets for years. So as you can imagine, we have a lot of people on how people ask questions and what tone of voice they use and, and how they generally talk to each other. And the truth is, you know, when you are in a social forum or even on text message, you don't talk like you and I talk right now, right? There's abbreviations, there's fat fingering on the phone, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Like it's a texting language is its own language in a way, right? Um, it's sort of a derivative of English maybe, but it, 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 it's, it's different in, in, uh, in some non, um, or in, 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 in some pretty important ways. So that's the one thing. And then the second thing is, uh, which goes maybe more into this point of like hallucinations that you might have heard about. So for the listeners out there, hallucinations is when these AI models get it wrong and they basically end up um, coming up with a totally incomplete kind of or like incorrect answer. And uh, and that's something that we were fortunate to be able to, uh, I mean, we haven't eliminated it by all means, it's still early, but we're doing pretty good as far as reducing that because Two years ago, we acquired a company that actually did um, took all these public filings and and turned them into structured data. So in that public filings, it's a lot of text, it's transcripts of earnings calls, it's, it's all this stuff. And so we already had all that data kind of structured, which allowed us to just feed that in a structured way to the AI model which mitigates the error kind of uh, rate from it because it can much more directly easily faster too by the way just like pinpoint those exact those exact numbers and that's those are generally numbers that traditional ai models couldn't really get so we have these two very distinct kind of advantages uh that allows us to sort of work around those issues but otherwise you're right those are those would be the two main barriers you know in like having users ask the right questions and then having the ai um, hallucinate as little as possible uh, how does the like uh... I want I want to say the 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 risk profiles, you know, or, or or the risk attitude, you know, of each user changes in this concept, right? Because uh, you know the 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 KYC, the risk profile, the MIFID, you know, the European yeah. MIFID, uh, you know, forces you to profile your users uh, and yes. uh, sort of attach to them a a, a, a risk level that. Uh, allow you to propose this or these sort of suites, you know, of uh, of investment. How this changes? Will AI also help to profile, you know, the, the, the users as well? Because potentially it could be dangerous as well. Um, so we similarly, by the way, obviously in the U.S. have to capture all the KYC, you know, your clients are like, why are you investing? What's your time horizon? All this kind of stuff. Um, that's another, I guess that's kind of a third thing to be honest with you that 
we have a little bit as an advantage because we have so much data around our users, right? So we also kind of can use that to personalize the experience and like put people on on the right path. And I think one thing that we've said from the beginning is if you created an AI, and I sometimes get this question like, well, AI just like run all our finances. And and if, if we're all using the same AI to invest, then there's no alpha actually left in the stock market and we're all going to be buying the same stuff. Like how's that going to work out? Because then it's like one big collective hive mind doing the trading yeah. and like that doesn't really work, obviously. But my answer is always like, I don't think that's where we're headed. And I don't see why you would, because if you do that, you get a little bit closer to the future where you're not empowering people. You're just letting them be lazy and being totally kind of hands off. And so they actually built much less financial literacy. Right. And, and I think that's, uh, so one, one principle that we've had for this internally at public has been like, we want to put you in the driver's seat, the customer, not the other way around, but we want to use this AI as a research assistant to empower you as much as possible. Um, and the way that that executes is like, I mean, if you have to go and read an annual report of a company, say you want to try and invest in a company, right. And you're like, I'll, I'll do some research. Right. So read the annual report. Another Warren Buffett quote, by the way, he said like, hey, I'm all for people investing in individual companies. They should just read the annual report before they invest in the company. That's the least they could do. But here's the thing. If you're a parent, you got a couple of kids, you got a day job, like that's a long time, right? So that was a big, now you can do that in a few minutes, right? Then you can, every time the earnings call comes out, minutes later, it summarizes the whole earnings call for you, gives you just the pieces that you need to know. And so... You know, you you start to see how this is something that can really like buy anywhere between, I mean, a hundred and a thousand X give you time back without sacrificing the quality of your decision making. In anything, the quality of decision making goes up dramatically because you consume so much more content than you otherwise would have. You do the research, not just on every other trade, but actually now on every single trade, because you can, because it doesn't take you days and days and days. Doesn't even take you hours. You can actually get very far having a conversation with an AI bot in just you know 10, 15 minutes, and that's the part about it that is just quite phenomenal, and and really I think can help level the playing field and 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 like I said, get get retail investors out of this um, label that they've sometimes had of like being the you know the uninformed kind of uh, investors because suddenly now they have all this information available in an easy digestible format at their fingertips. Uh, last question, and uh, I, I I dare to say maybe it's not a question that you have been you have been asked a lot. You know, let's let's see if I'm if I'm right. So there is one continent in the world that is by far the youngest. Uh, you know, uh, average age nineteen. Uh, where the challenge of a fractional investment uh, even goes to a further level, right? Because uh, we are talking about and talking about Africa. Of course, we're talking about people who make, uh, on average, uh, between hundred and three hundred dollars a day, and uh, services like insurance or investments, you know, are a challenge because, uh, of course, uh, when your first worry is to put food on the table. Uh, you're not. You're less worried to die, or what happens if you cannot go to work? And certainly, you're saying to yourself, "Why should I save, if, even if it is like a fifteen cents or twenty cents a day?" Right? But yeah. uh, do you guys think of this uh, completely uh, new market? You know, in terms of you know 
size, uh, configuration, potential, you know, population target, uh, you know, what's your approach to emerging markets? So, um, more than your approach is what do you think about it? Because you guys yeah, cannot eat the world. I, 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 was just, I, I was just about to say, I'll give an unfinished yeah. answer, which yeah, is, yeah, this, yeah. I, I, I've invested in, I don't know, a dozen companies that also offer like public for, you know, this and that and the other market and Indonesia and um, a couple in some other emerging markets. And the truth is, I definitely think that, you know, customers deserve to be able to put their money in the equities markets wherever they live. And I actually think, especially like the U.S. equities market too, like that's the incredible part that you can even offer global kind of access wherever folks are, as long as they have a smartphone. Um, and so I think that's hugely needed. I do also believe that's where we're headed, by the way. Like there are a lot of these companies. Now, to your own point, I, I don't think that we or any other single or company will be the only ones to do that. Um, I think that that people will have different kind of roles in doing that. I mean. Never say never, but I think the reality is, is just that there are people that probably will both be better suited to understand the intricacies of uh, and the actual problems of those customers. Because to your own point, and I'm a designer by background, by the way, so I always like fall back to my design thinking. So and then to, to your own point, it, it starts with really appreciating the situation that any particular customer is in. So, you know, when I went out and talked to the first 100 people around public, what I heard was like, I do have, you know, $5,000, but I don't feel that's enough to start a portfolio. And I'm a little bit intimidated because I've seen all these movies. It seems like a bro culture and I'm a woman and I don't want to answer. Like I picked up a lot of the stuff that's like, not let's call it Western world specific kind of trends. But to your own point, I think you go elsewhere in the world, you'll see other other problems that are that are much more present. And so you'll probably have other entrepreneurs and product builders that need to really appreciate be able to appreciate those and empathize with those in a very different way um and uh and those can hopefully kind of build those products and i believe they can because i, I believe the infrastructure is is there to do it um but it it, it requires a, a little bit of a different um yeah design thinking kind of mindset probably it's great Yannick, our time our time is uh, our time is over it was a super entertaining conversation thank you very much i don't think it's going to be the last time that they're going to be invited either to one of our events or to breaking banks thank you very much for your i hope time. not thank you so much enjoyed it guys this is a wrap episode 189 thank you Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.